Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. And I'm Sadie. And thank you for being here and joining us for a brief introduction, just in case anyone is new here. We talk about women and we talk about the arts, obviously. Women in the arts. Yeah, thank and- you. <laughs> women in the arts. And we are no scholars, no academics by any means. We are just like you but we, we learn the things and we share them with you so thanks for being here to to enjoy that yes thank you so much we love it it's just fun to see the impact you know that women have on yeah the arts and culture and society and how it continues and i feel like today's episode is like a perfect representation of that I fully agree. Do you listen to the Spice Girls at all? Okay, so yes and no. Like, do I know their entire discography the way that I know Taylor Swift's? No. No. (laughs) But I can't really say that for really anyone else. Fair. And I was a little too young to, like, be in the hype. I think Mm -hmm. we both were. Yes. Because we were, like... I was born the year that their big album came out. Their debut album. Yes. Exactly. So it's like, you know, we were too young for all of that. Mm -hmm. But can I literally sing every single word to wannabe yeah (laughs) yeah i can actually so like yes i love 90s pop music Mm -hmm. i love it i think it's so fun and like nsync and backstreet boys and britney and Mm -hmm. you know sometimes it's just exactly what you need to put on a playlist that has just a bunch of like 90s pop music and just jam enjoy yourself yeah absolutely i feel like this is a window into what it's like growing up as a teenager in utah but a very like core memory i feel is doing the wannabe dance in just dance do you know that one i'm trying to remember i remember the rasputin one yes that one of course that was so memorable but the wannabe in just dance i for the we just dance i'm pretty sure i'm not making this up but no that was just a core memory of many a friday nights because what else is there for us to do (laughs) i know nothing is open past like nine i was just gonna say nine Unless if you you're lucky hang out at a park or something and then those close and the cops start showing up and that's what it's like growing up in the suburbs yes, <laughs> definitely but yeah that was basically my intro to spice girls yeah. i mean that song's iconic obviously i knew that song so I love it I actually had like a really cool introduction to them. In eighth grade, I went to like an arts charter school Mm -hmm. and we had like a, I can't even remember what the class was called. It was kind of like art history, but like not really. And the teacher went through the entire history of like popular music and introduced us to like all of these bands. So we went over like all of the different like popular 70s and then mm-hmm. the 80s and the 90s and we had to listen to the music and like watch the music videos and like write reports on stuff. I love and it that. it was awesome. And she would like tie in all the cultural references and everything. Mm-hmm. Like it was amazing. So that's where I first heard like a lot of music. That's and so that was cool. definitely my intro to the Spice Girls. I yeah. loved researching for this episode because like you mentioned, their debut album came out the year mm. before I was born actually so yes. I wasn't really as aware of the cultural impact of the Spice Girls so it was really really cool reading through everything and seeing that they were I mean they were the poster 
children, poster childs, whatever, of girl power and almost feminism in a way. We'll yes. talk about how that's maybe something that's criticized or disputed. Yeah, but, but I mean, like for their time period, were. it was feminism. That was a really big deal. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Also, like they're the total revival of like teen pop. Yeah, uh-huh. that was something I kind of wanted to talk about in the beginning. Is that like teen pop idols have been around for a really long time. Yeah. Like I think they say as early as the 1940s with Frank Sinatra. We mm-hmm. talked about this in our fangirls episode. How like these men that the girls would spoon over and fangirl over became like these teen icons. But the golden age of like pop teen music, mm-hmm. a lot of people might say that it's the 60s. I disagree. I think it's the 90s and early 2000s. I would, yeah, with Backstreet Boys, Britney, <laughs> yeah. Destiny's Child, and yes. Sync, Christina obviously. Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, yeah. Mandy Moore, Aaron Carter. Do you remember Jesse McCartney? Oh my gosh, do I remember <laughs> Jesse McCartney? Of course. <laughs> and the fun part about that is that literally, like, the Spice Girls were the beginning of that because in the 1990s, North America had a lot of like grunge and gangsta rap that was at the top of the charts and then you had like boy bands that were getting really popular in Britain and there was a band called Take That that I've never heard of but apparently they were huge and then that's kind of how the Spice Girls started being a thing Mm -hmm. but then that catapulted literally everything else we covered like even Hanson Robin All Saints Bewitched so so much music came from this and i feel like you could tie back any musical group with more than two people to some capacity to the spice girls and we'll talk about it more later too but i think what's so cool is that the spice girls was one of the first groups that was specifically or not the first groups but in that time there was a dry spell of being targeted directly towards women Mm -hmm. and the point of the Spice Girls it wasn't a group of women who are trying to be sexy for men like the target demographic was girls and women and I think that also started a trend yeah I would agree it's like a huge demographic too yeah and like we're gonna bring up the fangirls episode a lot in this and I think also our riot girl if you want oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah those two especially but like the fact that women have a lot of buying power Mm -hmm. and women make up the majority of consumers in the United States. It's like they forget that and then relearn it and then go through yes. that cycle of like, oh. It's like, oh, we should be catering to, to women. To them. They might like this. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so it's interesting. But just like a cool, cool thing that mm-hmm. it was able to bring about so much music that's still like revered today. <laughs> Absolutely. Yesterday when I was working out, I listened to the Spice Girls debut album and you want to know what? It was great. That is a great album to work out to. So yes, would recommend if you haven't fully appreciated the Spice Girls albums or work like I hadn't. I love that. So we're not going to dive individually into each of the girls themselves, mainly because pretty much all of them are still remembered primarily for their role Mm -hmm. as Spice Girls. And they had like such distinct roles within the group that I thought it would be fun to cover yeah that so like we talked about their image was aimed directly at young girls and they had five distinct personalities and styles and the whole idea behind that was that fans could identify with one member or another in order to like 
have someone that they could attach themselves to. Like, I feel like the internet loves personality tests. Like, are you a Gryffindor, a Slytherin, a Hufflepuff, or a Ravenclaw? You know, yeah. be like, are you a baby Where spice, a posh spice? Yeah, because <laughs> people love to do that even today. And this was like a big step away from what a lot of previous groups had done. You think of like the Beatles and the Supremes where they would market themselves as a distinct group altogether. Like mm-hmm. a homogeneous is what they call it. Like they are one but multiple. Yeah. I even think of like the Beatles how they literally all had the same haircut mm-hmm. for a while. <laughs> like it made them like all one thing. Yes. Whereas the Spice Girls were all extremely individual. There's a lot of like debate from what I could tell on where the names came from but from what I can most closely discern is that there was a editor of a magazine in England called Top of the Pops which from what I can tell is sort of like a teen vogue Mm -hmm. situation and Wannabe was the Spice Girls debut single which I was surprised by honestly because I feel like that's Still their most popular song. and their very first song is like... (laughs) It was their very first one. Like, way to hit gold on the first strike. So they had, like, a lunch and an interview, and then they did this article on them. And he created nicknames for each member of the group based on their personalities. Mm -hmm. And they titled the article, like, The Spice Rack. (laughs) Nice. Which, funny, right? But this is, like, the names that they used. Victoria was Posh Spice... Because she wore a Gucci-style mini dress and seemed pouty and reserved. Emma wore pigtails and was sucking on a lollipop, so obviously they called her Baby Spice. Mm -hmm. Mel C. spent the whole time leaping around in her tracksuit, so they called her Sporty Spice. Mel B. was really shouty and, like, intense, so they called her Scary Spice. (laughs) And Jerry, from what I could tell, originally was actually called Sexy Spice. Oh. But then they were like, no young girl market, Mm -hmm. not vibing and so they ended up calling her ginger spice because she's a redhead and they meant it to just be like a silly funny article you know to introduce them and then it ended up being adopted globally really quickly the magazine started receiving calls from other british media outlets requesting permission to use them oh and before long it was adopted into the entire branding and idea of the spice girls and it became their thing became the thing yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they said that like the whole thing for them kind of came around unintentionally because they were just trying to coordinate their outfits which was expected of any girl group you know like Mm -hmm. same dress different colors like bridesmaids kind of deal (laughs) and then they decided to just keep their own individual styles instead and then of course that's what the magazine attached to was just like these individual styles that they had and it continued so here's like a few more characteristics of them so we have victoria beckham like i said posh spice she was known for her choppy brunette bob cut she was more reserved very pouty and often wore form-fitting outfits like i said that mini black dress mm-hmm. melanie brown or mel b she had like the in-your-face attitude loud leads accent she had a pierced tongue she had a lot of like leopard print outfits so she was Scary Spice. Emma Bunton, Baby Spice. She was also the youngest member of the group. So I guess fitting. She had the long blonde hair, wore it in pigtails, wore a lot of pastels, a lot of baby doll dresses, platform sneakers, and had like a very girly girl personality, kind of more innocent. Then you have Melanie Chrissom, who's Mel C. Sporty Spice, lots of tracksuits, athletic shoes, 
high ponytails. She had tattoos and like a tough girl attitude. And she would also do a lot of like back handsprings and high kicks on stage. Amazing. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> great. And then Jerry Hallowell, ginger spice, bright red hair, feistiness, glammed up sex appeal, and flamboyant stage outfits. She is the one who tends to wear the most revealing clothes. So mm. I think that's why they were like sexy, sexy spice. spice. Yeah. <laughs> she was also identified mainly as like the leader ah. of the Spice Girls. Okay. Cool. Which makes a lot more sense when we talk about kind of how they formed um, and and diminished yes definitely okay cool well i'm gonna go over how they really formed as a band i feel like on tiktok now there's a lot of criticism when it seems like someone is an industry plant and an industry plant for those who don't know is basically almost like the image was created in a factory by a record label and the record label is giving this artist a huge push as opposed to like the feeling of an artist just growing organically, finding their audience organically. And I feel like because there's definitely a trend culturally where we value authenticity and things like that, when people see something that feels so obviously a marketing ploy, they reject it and they don't like it and they call them out as a industry plant i have my own thoughts on that and i think we actually have an episode coming out soon a couple months yes about industry plants and how i think only women have ever been attacked for being a quote-unquote industry plant but for the most part yeah besides the point though is that the spice girls by some definition (laughs) could be considered an industry plant i don't know it's kind of a weird term if you think about it because yeah. it's like it's not like they're robots and it's they, not like, like they're not in. talented and undeserving yeah. and i i kind of think of the fact that like at some point everyone becomes a brand yes you know mm-hmm. when you're that level of fame like taylor swift the company and taylor swift the star or you know she's a person but then like she also has like her persona and so it's just like i don't know like it it's good marketing yeah it really is <laughs> so it's a little weird and then it's like oh just because someone like grabbed them all and put them together and yet no one ever says like one direction industry plant but they definitely were just as much as the yeah. spice girls were for sure i know literally kind of same scenario in a way except there was like a talent show beforehand but Yeah. But in the early 1990s, Bob and Chris Herbert were their names. They're actually a father-son duo of heart management. They decided to create a girl group to compete with the boy bands who were dominating the UK pop music scene at the time. They had envisioned like five very different girls who could all appeal to a different audience. In February of 1994, Heart Management actually placed an advertisement in a paper asking for singers to audition for an all-female pop band at a dance studio. 400 women, about, attended this audition. And they were placed in groups of 10, and they would dance a routine to stay by Eternal, followed by solo auditions, where they would all just get their chance to sing and perform. After several weeks of deliberation, Victoria Adams, Melanie Brown, Melanie Chrisholm, and Michelle Stevenson were among a dozen or so women who advanced to the second round of auditions. And actually, despite missing the very first round of auditions, Jerry Hallowell, she actually persuaded the Herberts to let her attend the second round, which is funny (laughs) because like you mentioned, she ended up 
basically being the lead of the group. Yeah. And then a week after the second audition, Adams, Brown, Holloway, and Stevenson were actually asked to attend a recall and they would perform a song on their own and as a group. And then Melanie was invited back as a last minute replacement for a different finalist. So then the five women were selected for a band that they actually initially called Touch. Which Hate that name. I know. That is a horrible band name. <laughs> Touch. If anyone out there is considering naming their band Touch, (laughs) stop. Don't do it. Don't do that. It's a horrible band name. Yeah, unless you're going to add like some kind of secondary word to that and it better be good. Touch? But touch alone? I hate that. It's making me cringe. Like, I feel nauseated reading that. It's fine. Yeah. Especially a group of teenage girls. Teenage anyway. girls? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's bad, bad, bad. That is, like, way too transparent with what they were trying to do here with this. And I, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's gross. gross. The group, though, moved into a three-bedroom home, and they spent actually most of that year, 1994, practicing songs that were written for them. They were also tasked with choreographing their own dance routines. And then a few months into training, Michelle Stevenson, she was actually fired because Ooh. she had a perceived lack of commitment. I would be interested on what Michelle Stevenson's take on that was if she actually felt like she wasn't committed. Imagine being Michelle Stevenson now. I know. That's what I'm wondering. Who knows? But then at the time, Heart Management turned to the group's vocal coach to find a replacement. And that vocal coach recommended Emma Button, who auditioned and joined as the fifth member. So here Ooh. comes Scary Spice. But as their training continued the group performed in like small showcases for heart management's associates on one performance like the group added a rap section that they had actually written to one of the songs that were written for them and they were furious with the changes and they insisted that they learn to write songs properly so the group began professional songwriting lessons and then during one of those sessions they wrote a song called sugar and spice and that inspired them to change their name to spice instead of touch good yeah good move i mean the spice girls isn't added yet but still spice is better than touch so (laughs) definitely (laughs) yeah so by the end of 1994 they did not technically have an official contract with heart management and they were frustrated by that they felt like that wasn't a good sign which is probably fair yeah Yeah. and they were frustrated with the management team's direction they persuaded herbert to set up a showcase performance in front of industry writers producers like all that where they actually received a really positive reaction and they then set about creating like a binding contract for them the herberts did so after they were like oh all these people that are in the industry love them let's hurry up now and set up this binding contract but the girls they were very encouraged by the reaction that they had received so they all five of them refused to sign the contracts which i think is just like really i don't know i don't want to say bold necessarily but like they were from the beginning it seems very aware of their worth where they're like hey we don't like that you don't have an official contract with us because heart management probably wasn't super willing to invest in them as much Mm -hmm. as maybe the girls felt like they should be invested with and yeah you know what i mean well it seems a little silly on the management part if you're gonna put in that much money and time like professional songwriting lessons and having them practice and everything like wouldn't you want yeah contract in place like like that seems like a major misstep but honestly like good for the girls to realize that they were getting such a reaction and being like oh 
people want us. We don't have to stay yeah. here and be loyal to people that obviously weren't willing to commit to us early and on. It's kind of beautiful if you think about it, that they were able to stand together like that, especially when they came from, you know, they weren't yeah. friends before. It wasn't like an organic band yeah exactly you know group like they were all pulled from different directions and they were still able to be like no like we're standing together i know i think it's really cool. a united front in january of 95 they began songwriting sessions with richard stannard who was actually there at that showcase and his partner matt rowe and during those sessions the songs wannabe and to become one were written which are i think their biggest songs i mean wannabe obviously but <laughs> <laughs> to become one is also one of their biggest every ones. time we say Say wannabe I just hear it in my head I'll tell you what I want, want what, what I really really want I know I wanna I wanna yeah mm-hmm. it's so good <laughs> so good and then in March 1995 they officially left heart management because heart was not willing to listen to their ideas well at least that's how they felt I guess I'll say allegedly but I believe them <laughs> what I thought was like for lack of better word, just so badass, okay? <laughs> Is that to ensure that they kept control of their work, they, again, allegedly stole the master recordings of their discography from the management office. Major kudos, applause. Taylor Swift is re-recording her masters. These girls just went and took them. And I think that is the difference between cloud storage versus analog. I know. I was just going to say, like, there's literally no way you could do that now. No. But man, it would be great. I know. Just sneak in and grab them. Oh, no. Uh-huh. I mysteriously ended up with all of them. How did this happen? Oh, dang. Guess we own them now. Like, mm-hmm. But again, allegedly. So who knows? The I next, believe it. It was I, probably like what? On like a cassette tape or like a CD or probably. something? Yeah. Yeah. Just run in and grab the track and head out. It's like, yours now. They yeah. can't do anything about it. I guess especially because there's probably no contract that says like who owns them. So if they take yeah. it. Then it's like and that's where it contracts are very important. Yes. That is your legal advice today. More than a use legal segment. Yeah, Who protects knew? the artist and the management company. But screw the management company in this case. Yeah, seriously. Personally. It's their own fault. Literally. They didn't sign a contract. Your CDs are going to go mysteriously missing. And what... <laughs> How can you prove it? Yep. (laughs) But the next day, after they allegedly stole, they tracked down songwriter Elliot Kennedy, who had been present at this showcase, persuaded him to work with them. And through contacts that they had made at the showcase, they were introduced to the Absolute production team. With Kennedy and Absolute's help, the group spent the next several weeks writing and recording demos for the majority of the songs that would be released on their debut album, including Say You'll Be There and Who Do You Think You Are? And then the demos caught the attention of Simon Fuller of 19 Entertainment, who signed them to his management company in May of 1995. So at this point, there's plenty of industry buzz around them, which is really cool that like even before they had put out any music, that the music industry and major record labels in London and LA were like all wanting to sign them and that there was a full on bidding war which is just crazy but they signed a five album deal with virgin records in july of 1995 fuller took them on an extensive promotional tour in la where they met with studio executives in the hopes of securing actually film and television opportunities and that was when their name was changed to the spice girls because there was a rapper that was actually already using the name spice and the new name was chosen as industry people often referred to them anyways as the Spice Girls and so it just yeah it just made sense and during this time they're continuing to write tracks for their debut album and then boom 
the big breakthrough because on July 7th of 1996, what an amazing day for, I I mean, dare I say just world culture. Oh, definitely. Global impact here. They released their debut single, Wannabe, I'll in the tell UK. tell you what I want. What, what I, I really, really, really want. want. Yeah. So tell me what you I want. I wish I could just play it in the background, but copyright. No. <laughs> but uh. in the weeks before the release, the music video received a trial airing, actually, on the music channel, The Box, and it was an instant hit. <laughs> in just the trial airings it's a good music video (laughs) even to this day like it doesn't have a storyline or anything like a lot of others do but they're just like dancing and having the time of their lives want to be their friend and it's a song that you like want to dance to yeah like (laughs) exactly (laughs) like we're we're just talking about the spice girls and the amount of times we've just started singing this song like (laughs) it's infectious okay yeah and my favorite thing about it is it kind of has that effect of like a lot of popular songs with like gangnam style or like yeah despacito where like you don't even really get what a lot of it means like (laughs) zig zig i really uh, really really want to zig zig ah it's like okay but like it's so catchy that you like can't help yourself yeah. yeah it's like memeable but before like yeah you know, memes were a thing i guess i don't know <laughs> like it means nothing but like at the same time it means that's everything. what makes it <laughs> yes <laughs> literally oh such a good song such a good song so it entered the uk singles charts at number three before spending the next seven weeks at number one and that is a long freaking time <laughs> to spend at number one that's a long time and the song proved to be a global hit it hit number one in 37 countries including four consecutive weeks atop the billboard hot 100 in the u.s and that became not only the best-selling debut single by an all-female group but also the best-selling single by an all-female group of all time so i believe that that probably those records still stand yeah Mm -hmm, i think so it was released in the united states and that proved to be like the big catalyst for helping them break into the u.s market i mean obviously they they did great over there and then at this time it was the highest ever debut by a non-american act they actually debuted at 11 which is which is crazy because Mm -hmm. first time america's ever hearing from them and they actually beat the previous record held by the beatles for i want to hold your hand which is love that crazy wannabe reached number one in the u.s for four weeks like i mentioned and then in february spice was released in the u.s and became the best-selling album of 1997 in the u.s and it peaked at number one it was certified seven times platinum by the ria so 7.4 million copies the album is also included in the top 100 albums of all time list based on u.s sales yes and then in total the album has sold over 23 million copies worldwide becoming the best-selling album in pop music history by an all-female pop group or just a that's amazing i think an all-female group period but in pop music history so crazy that is so cool it makes sense like how many years has it been since that release like 25 i mean as old as i am so yes 25 (laughs) and it's still you know everyone knows that song it's still so good So I'm not going to go through every single aspect of their career, but basically they had a huge big old career until they broke up. And Stani will talk about what happened there. Yes. So basically with being very popular Mm -hmm. came a lot of criticism and towards the end of it all, they ended up firing their manager. And there's a lot of like... No one really knows why. But then they started having to take on like manager duties amongst the five of them. Oh, yeah. Uh On top of everything else. So they were like doing 
photo shoots and writing and performing and then they would also have to like hire talent and stylists and everything else to help and it had to be split amongst all of them Mm -hmm. and that's a lot like I wouldn't recommend anyone kind of when you're that high up oh, in yeah. something, like trying to do it with no staff. Honestly. Insane. And it's yeah. crazy how that even happened, but. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if they just had like problems or if they wanted like more money so that they didn't have to, because you're already like splitting it five true ways. So maybe they didn't want to have to pay him too. Like, I don't know Could the whole story. Kind of things. Yeah. But anyway, it was like shortly after that happened, the ringleader, Ginger Spice, or Jerry Hallowell. She ended up missing a few live performances. And so, of course, rumors started spreading. Mm. That, like, she was leaving and people were freaking out about it. And I think it was, like, a couple of months later, she ended up releasing a statement to the British press stating that she was leaving and that there had just been some differences of opinion and that she wanted to be able to talk about more serious issues, Uh. wanted to handle her mental health a little bit better and be able to free up more of her time. And so they did like a last final, I think it was like an album or like a show or something together. And then they claimed that they were going on hiatus Uh, to pursue individual careers for the most part from what i read about them the most successful solo career was victoria beckham yeah although her name was victoria adams but she ended up releasing like a couple of albums from what i read there wasn't anything like super significant from the rest of them but they have reunited a few times which is cool most recently and it's possible that they will be reuniting for king charles's coronation oh it's a rumor could be cool but that was kind of the story just like when it gets to that level of fame like i'm sure it's hard and then you have people who want different things and yeah have different directions they want to go and that would be difficult but i do think it's interesting that like jerry was considered like the ringleader and yet it seems like victoria had has had the, the most, most successful yeah, solo, solo career. career. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me very much of like... One Direction? The whole One Direction thing. With where Zayn was like the ringleader, right? Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to go off and do my solo thing. And now and Harry, Harry Styles. Yeah. yeah. Harry catapulted. Yeah, but that that's kind of it. Like, I don't know if there was as much drama as it seems like a lot of other groups had. Like, yeah. they ended on good terms. They all seem to still be like... Well, and the fact that they've all close. come together for like various reunions and things like that. Yeah. It seems like there's at least... You know, it's remained very amicable. Yeah. I think there was just like a lot going on. Yeah. (laughs) And they were also getting like a lot of criticism, which we'll talk about and move forward. But also, I think now we're aware at least of how horrible and toxic like press was in the 1990s and in the 2000s. It was awful. Yeah. And and (laughs) the press loved the Spice Girls. And so I'm sure that was very, very difficult. Yeah. And especially just like, I'm sure there was so much that we won't even cover about like body image oh that's another thing she did leave for like health reasons Mm -hmm. some eating disorder yeah stuff going on which i mean isn't surprising sadly and you know that would be like a lot absolutely So the person I want to talk about, you've probably heard the sound on TikTok. And if you haven't, then you are on the wrong side of TikTok. 
kidding. <laughs> yes, I'm not kidding. I agree. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen it a million times. And then I saw someone post a TikTok where they're like, this sound actually isn't trending. Like if you've seen it a million times, it just means that like yeah. you're traumatized. That happens like, to me Fair. all the time where I'll be like, oh, this is trending. No, it's just nope. for me. Just me. But it's the song Labor by Paris Paloma. I actually don't know where she's from. It's She's not United States based because it's spelled labor like the UK way. So I'm assuming british but i could be completely wrong but it's such a good song it's the one that's like you make me do a whole lot of labor all day every day therapist mm, mother maiden then a virgin, virgin. nurse yes. then a servant just like an appendage lift to attend him so that he never lifts a finger 24 7 baby machine yeah it's so good she actually just released it but the sound's been on tiktok for a while yeah, and awesome. there's a music video that goes with it that's very cool it's very like tolerate it-esque yeah of the heiress tour where she's like sitting at a dinner table and like the guys across from her and everything mm-hmm. it's just wonderful people have talked about how it's like generational trauma <laughs> like <laughs> a bunch of other stuff like they'll be like my husband's perfect but i'm sitting here like crying and screaming this song because i can just like feel the generations of like rage from sexism so built up inside of you so yeah highly recommend go stream go check out the tiktoks Go look at the music video and, and listen to we our other music We TikToks too. using the sound, so go check out yes. our TikToks. We're on TikTok, by it's the way. Such, it has amazing lyrics. Like, I love it. Yeah. Like, even like the one phrase where it's like, if the capillary, capillaries in my eyes are bursting, if our love died, would that be the worst thing? Because it's just like, yeah, you know, you don't respect me, so would it really suck that much if we broke up? The answer is no. No. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So my spotlight today, I feel like what she's doing is an art. Is it Ooh. an artist? Yeah. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> so it's a Taylor Swift account, but okay. it is Taylor Swift styled. Have you heard of this account? No. Okay. So it's a fan page. Is it styled Sarah. or style? Styled. Okay. Taylor Swift styled. So like I said, it is a fan page. Her name is Sarah. Oh, She's an artist. She's writing a book. So that's cool. But what she does is she's like the original Taylor Swift style blog started in 2001. She will find what Taylor Swift has worn and shares it. So it blows my mind that people do this. But like the art of like knowing like, oh, those shoes are these shoes, yeah. you know, and it's really fun with her going through all of the eras fits right now and yeah. talking about how they're custom made and sharing who did them. But like, I mean, if you go through, though, you can go back besides the heiress fits, which are all like custom, like, yeah, fair, <laughs> you know, all the designer brands. But like you can go back and be like, oh, cool. She wore these pants from free people and like, I don't know, all kinds of things. Also, it makes you realize how expensive Taylor Swift's clothes are. So pricey. Like, obviously, all the jewels she wears to award shows, she probably doesn't own. But, like, at the same time, like, it's also like, oh, wow, Taylor Swift also just has, like, normal clothes, too, sometimes, which yeah. I think is fun. Anyways, I think this is an art, what she is doing. And it's super cool to get the breakdown of what she's wearing. But also, like, I like learning about where all of, like, the jewels are coming from, from her looks. And so also cool. all the designers who are designing her red carpet looks all of the above so yeah 
casual. That's super interesting. But yeah, like the amount of dedication that it takes. Well, to she'll do literally this. go through and be like, these are these rings from these designers or yeah. these shops. Crazy. But apparently, for Midnight's, a lot of the stuff she wore was very vintage. Yeah. So a lot of the tops, she's like, vintage, no longer available. Uh huh. Or a lot of like custom looks. Anyways, it's a really fun yeah. blog to follow. And like I said, she's writing a book. So that's cool. Well, to talk about their cultural impact, but I also wanted to talk about their songwriting because I feel like it's really easy to look at a group of women and assume that, I don't know, that the women didn't write it. And when I was in college, I took a... Okay, well, this story isn't the best anecdote, admittedly, because... Let me tell the story first. So (laughs) I took a history of pop music class my freshman year of college and we were getting ready for the Grammys and my professor made this joke of like, let's just assume that my worst nightmare happens and same old love by Selena Gomez gets nominated and wins the Grammy to win song of the year. It's not going to be Selena Gomez going up to accept the award. It's going to be a group of dudes going up to accept the award because Selena didn't write it. Which, first off, did she? Well, here's the thing. I think she's technically credited as a songwriter because she probably edited some. But actually, the song was written by Charlie XCX and Ross Golan. And then the producers were Stargate and Benny Blanco. But the point Mm. of me saying that is I feel like there is always the assumption that the pop girly like that they're not writing the songs it's actually just like the men behind the curtain who are actually the ones writing the catchy songs and that was kind of like the first time i had like noticed that where i was like why are we assuming that and and like i said this isn't the best anecdote because selena gomez didn't write the song but like there was a woman behind the curtain and i just feel like it's very typical to assume that they didn't do it and with the spice girls being so iconic and having their songs being so like literally culturally impactful i want to talk about the fact that they did in fact write these songs i mean sure they had co-writers but literally everyone has co-writers so that doesn't mean anything kind of like a weird thing to even say too because it's like everyone yeah has co-writers mm-hmm. that doesn't diminish anything no like if you have resources you're gonna use them like it makes you a better songwriter makes you like, better artist period why wouldn't you use what you have mm-hmm. just interesting i agree so a couple people who talked about their songwriting sessions with them so elliot kennedy who is a regular co-writer with them he said that songwriting sessions with the spice girls were very quick and short which i thought was cool wow. he described his experience working with them and he said I said to them was look I've got a chorus check this out and I'd sing them the chorus and the melody no lyrics or anything and straight away five pads and pencils came out and they were throwing lines at us 10 minutes later the song was written then you go through and refine it then later as you were recording it you might change a few things here and there but pretty much it was a real quick process they were confident in what they were doing just throwing it out there which that's awesome I think is just very consistent with you know how they were formed and how they presented themselves to the world yeah that's a cool thing to think about too it's like you got five brains yeah uh uh-huh like I'm sure it went faster than boom, 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 a boom, lot boom. of other songwriting sessions because yeah you got five people who are like very united in what they're trying yeah. to do and say at that time so thought that was cool and then absolutes who's that management company paul wilson he recalled an experience where he and watkins were responsible for writing the backing track and the group would then write the lyrics 
he said, I wasn't an 18 year old girl. They always had this weird ability to come up with phrases that you'd never heard of, which we just talked about. He said the members would create dance routines at the same time as writing songs and that they knew what they wanted to write about right from day one. And you couldn't force your musical ideas on them, which Mm -hmm. again, I just thought it was cool that it's like everyone who has worked with them was like, no, they knew what they wanted to say. And I also think it's a very telling that they were creating dance routines as they were writing the songs. Yes. Because I think you can just, you can feel that when you're listening to the music and it's really cool. And what a catalyst of 90s teen pop. What would a song be without a dance routine? Literally. (laughs) It would make TikTok so proud. It would. Man, this is, I don't know. The before TikTok, it was the Spice Girls. I guess you could say we're entering like a resurgence of that. Like artists are pretty much coming up with dance routines and then even doing them in music videos. True. Or I mean, this isn't necessarily the same thing, but the fact that on the Eras tour, Taylor Swift is doing the um, Bejeweled one. The Bejeweled one. Yeah. (laughs) That went viral on TikTok. And then what I thought was also really interesting is that from the beginning, the Spice Girls established a very strict 50-50 split between them and all their songwriting royalties. I mean, songwriting collaborators, as with their vocal arrangements, they were also like super adamant about maintaining between like owning that between themselves in the songwriting credits and then about that it was said the deal between themselves was a strict five-way split on their share of the songwriting royalties on all songs irrespective of what any one member of the group had or had not contributed to any particular song that's amazing i know and then they said apart from ease of just administration this was also a symbolic expression of the unity which was so much part of the parcel of the spice philosophy which wow. i thought that was again like really cool that i think it really showed that they were united as a group you know that yeah it doesn't matter if like maybe that song only w- one of them actually only contributed one line it doesn't matter simplify the process but also like we're all in this together Five yeah because i'm sure there's probably a lot of groups that nickel and diamond where they're like oh for every word you add you get like five cents yeah or something. I, and i know <laughs> that happens where people yeah. will almost like argue out the logistics of like how much you actually contributed but that can be a hard thing to prove sometime and i think yeah it's, i personally think it's in good faith to just say hey if you're in the room and the finished product like you know you were a part of that then you get part of the even split so yeah i love that especially if you're like sitting down and talking in a songwriting yeah. session you know like Exactly. Someone could have totally said what you were going to say five seconds before you said it. Like, how do you prove that? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And shows like a lot of maturity and respect that they had for each other. I think so too. Okay, well then transitioning into cultural impact. So like you had mentioned, they broke onto the music scene when alternative rock, hip hop, and R&B were really the big deal of the music charts. The group's first ever interview actually in May of 1996, they told Music Week, We want to bring some of the glamour back to pop like Madonna had when we were growing up. Pop is about fantasy and escapism, but there's so much bullshit around at the moment. (laughs) I love that. Mm -hmm. I can see Madonna as an influence. Yeah, I could totally see that. They've also been credited with paving the way for the girl groups and female pop singers that have come after them. Unlike previous groups such as the Andrews Sisters, whose target markets were male, the Spice Girls redefined the girl group concept by going after a young female fan base instead. I mentioned this earlier, but what I thought was cool too is in the UK, they were also further credited for disrupting the then male-dominated pop music scene. And prior to the Spice Girls, there were other girl groups. One of them was named Bananarama, and they would have hit singles in the UK, but their album sales were generally not very good. And so it was kind of just like accepted in the music industry in the UK that all girl groups would just wouldn't really work because 
both girls and boys would kind of find the concept like threatening. But then they came in and proved that that wasn't true. And another thing that I thought was crazy is that teen magazines such as Smash Hits and Top of the Pops, they actually initially refused to feature the Spice Girls on the assumption that a girl group would not appeal to their female readership. But then they obviously just proved them super, super wrong. So so why is a group of five women too intimidating, but a group of five men isn't? I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess it's kind of like goes to the typical thing where it's like, if it's for men, it's for everyone. But if it's for women, it's only for women. I wonder if that's part of it. boy bands pretty much for women? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it was just like, oh, girls will like boy bands because it's like, oh, they're sexy. They're hot. But... What they are they can getting like, from a girl group, I guess? They can like girl groups for the same reasons. No, absolutely true. <laughs> it's interesting. Like, I, I wonder about this a lot because we haven't really had a lot of girl group since. And I feel like a lot of the ones that do, they get thrown in weird categories of like, yeah. oh, like I've even heard things that it was like, oh, girl groups don't work because they can't get along. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I'm like, but they do did they got along perfectly also like but i think that's not a girl thing like bands in general just they yeah. always break up for bad reasons I know, that happens all but the it time. seems to be like a bigger deal when girl groups do it well, i feel like even with you remember when fifth harmony when camila yes. cabello left and then they did that whole dance did you see the performance where they had like the doll of camila cabello that they threw off the stage no oh my gosh you that's need, disgusting you need to look <laughs> But like, what purpose does that serve? I don't know. I mean, if they wanted press, they got press that night. I don't know. I'm going to send you that performance after it. Yeah, please it's, do. It's iconic, but like in a way that you, I just can't believe that it happened. Yeah, I just find it really interesting that I feel like you frequently see boy bands, boy groups, mm-hmm. but I feel like girl groups. For some reason, it's almost harder to make them work. I don't know. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's like. A society thing if it's just like an industry thing or if like everyone's just dealing with internal misogyny which maybe it's all three yeah, i was gonna say all of the above perhaps <laughs> yeah. d all of the yeah <laughs> correct yes so the last thing though i wanted to talk about was this idea of girl power that was a big part of the spice girls brand girl power was a label for the particular facet of feminist empowerment embraced by the band that was emphasizing female confidence individuality and sisterhood you want to know what's cool what is i saw something about how they got the idea of the phrase of girl power from riot girl yeah uh uh-huh but instead of taking like the grungy underground Mm -hmm. you know girl power anti-disestablishmentarianism you know that like riot girl had they wanted to be like the approachable yeah part of that like girl power like sisterhood you know individuality confidence like but being girly and like cute about it and pop bubblegum, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh (laughs) I never heard this before, but their approach to girl power was also seen as a response to lad culture. And lad culture was a media-driven British and Irish subculture of the 1990s and early 2000s. The term lad culture actually is something that continues to be used today, but it's referring to like a collective like boorish misogynistic behavior by young men particularly university students so that was kind of like them. like frat bro that's yeah i think so <laughs> like the typical frat bro and they're like no <laughs> screw that girl power yeah. so. i love that it's a lad culture and then we're like frat, frat bros. bros yeah <laughs> 
there's the american version of it (laughs) funny but like you mentioned it came from bikini kill who was a riot Mm. girl band but they helped it become a lot more mainstream according to chislam the band was inspired to champion this because as a result of the sexism that they encountered when they were first starting out in the music business which yeah we talked about all of that that they encountered with heart management probably just not taking them seriously and to the point that they had to fully take charge of their own career industry insiders actually credit hollowell as being the author of the group's girl power manifesto and she herself actually spoke of the former british prime minister margaret thatcher as being the pioneer of our ideology they actually like released a whole book i think it was just called spice or something but it was basically like i guess the spice girls manifesto which is cool because that's like another bikini kill reference yeah Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) who had their manifesto and of course though like this definitely got some backlash because i think people were like oh it's just branding which is something we talked about earlier with the whole industry plant but i thought this quote was cool so it's from virgin's director of press robert sandal he kind of explained the novelty of the group and he said that there had never been a group of girls who were addressing themselves specifically to a female audience before and then another quote from the sunday times it says They believed that it was this loyalty to their sex that set the Spice Girls apart from their predecessors. And this enabled them to win over young female fans where previous girl groups had struggled. So girl power put a name to a social phenomenon. It was mixed with, like I mentioned, very mixed reactions. Some commentators credit the Spice Girls with reinvigorating mainstream feminism, which that's a big deal, I guess. Uh, And then having their mantra serving is almost like a gateway to feminism for their young fans. But critics will kind of say that it was, like I said, just a shallow marketing tactic, accuse the group of commercializing the social movement. But, you know, regardless, because of them, it did become a really big cultural phenomenon and was a mantra that was adopted by millions of girls. I think it was because of them that girl power made it into the Oxford English Dictionary. So that's a pretty big deal. I also love this quote that said, the Spice Girls changed British culture enough for girl power to now seem completely unremarkable, which I love that because, yeah, girl power is almost like a is is chooky. I hate that word. But you know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's not like an yeah. actual like impactful thing to say girl anymore. Girl boss, gatekeep, gaslight. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that it's like not a big deal anymore almost like shows like, no, that's actually amazing that we're to that point. Yeah. It's actually something really annoying we do as a society like the minute something gets mainstream we just start to make fun of it and pick it to pieces and yeah like why Mm -hmm. no you're right we're so rude for real i also loved these quotes from i guess more contemporary people kind of like looking back blake lively actually dedicated her award she actually got at the people's choice awards in 2017 she got favorite dramatic movie actress and then she actually dedicated it to like i said girl power in her acceptance speech and she said what was so neat about them is that they are all so distinctly different and they were women and they owned who they were and that was my first introduction to girl power probably a lot of people yeah in 2018 rolling stone named the spice girls girl power ethos on the millennial 100 which was a list of 100 people music cultural touchstones and movements that had shaped the millennial generation which i thought was really cool and then in 2019 there was an article called spice girls generation 
from the New York Times that said marketing ploy or not girl power had become a self-fulfilling prophecy which I thought was really really cool there was a lot of different articles that I found I don't necessarily want to read all of I mean I could read all these quotes (laughs) they're so good but a couple ones that I really liked that I would recommend if you wanted to go check them out there was the Spice Girls were my gateway drug to feminism that was from The Guardian (laughs) actually I'm gonna read this one this is so funny to me but says female columnists have not been kind to the group in retrospect Caitlin Moran basically blamed girl power for the loss of interest in feminism while Grace Dent went further by saying that any student in 2012 who regurgitates this Spice Girl helped feminism baloney in a dissertation should have the whole thing shredded and be made to wear a dunce cone in graduation pics well hand me the dunce cap grace because i must respectfully disagree were it not for their kitschy pop antics i might not be the massive feminist i am today which yeah i love it i'm sorry but how else are girls supposed to get too exposed to like to feminism you're right the first thing a young girl she's not gonna like pick up a book on like feminism philosophy or like a book on sexuality no they're gonna hear their favorite pop stars saying girl power they're not teaching it in schools true where do you want us to get educated on this yeah and have it be our have it be our pop stars yeah you already like women idolize them they look up to them you know like especially young girls like who better who better to learn from absolutely like barney wasn't talking about intersectional (laughs) feminism like i'm just like where else do you want me to learn about it like absolutely that's not fair to be like oh you learned it from a pop star that was really popular like how dare you literally how kitschy of you (laughs) it's like we all have to start somewhere you know yeah we all have to start somewhere They made it approachable. That's a really important thing. Absolutely. Another article that I found was from stylist.co.uk. Stylist. But girl power is just a 90s way of saying it. And then how feminism went pop during the reign of the Spice Girls, which I thought was a really cool. And they talked about like terminology aside because they declared in their book, Girl Power, that feminism has become a dirty word. Girl power is just a 90s way of saying it. We can give feminism a kick up the arse. (laughs) So like in a way they were like being like, oh, we're not feminist. We just preach girl power because, you know, we've talked about it at the time. Feminism was a dirty word. But terminology aside, though, they were all about sisterhood, female empowerment, feisty independence, showing millions of women that they could do anything they wanted, even if they were in, you know, crop tops and platform boots, you know? Yeah. So albeit a surface level take on the movement. Who cares? Like you said, everyone needs to do it. One last thing I want to read. I swear. This was from (laughs) an activist, Nimko Ali. So she says that wannabe and the rise of girl power inspired a generation of fun-loving feminists, as we talked about. But this quote, she says, I was around 14 when the Spice Girls burst onto the radio and into my life. I didn't have posters on my walls and I never got to see them in concert, but they instantly and loudly and boldly became an unconscious strength that was always there. In many ways, they still are. I remember listening to them sing Wannabe and taking in the words of the chorus. If you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends, they sung. The message I heard was clear. Girls come first and female solidarity is more important than any man. And I was immediately on board. My generation was told we had everything we could ever wish for. We were living the 90s dream, but it was also a time of hypersexualization and objectification of women with the rise and dominance of lads mags, frat boys. (laughs) The Spice Girls helped us reject that in a way because in many ways they rejected it themselves there's always been an idea of what women should be in public sexy not too loud not too quiet either no trouble the spice girls broke the rules when they were posing for photo shoots they didn't have to be sexy they could be fun loud and crazy and they were unapologetic they didn't change for anyone they met 
even when it was Nelson Mandela. Instead, they spread the word that women are big and strong and loud and confident, that women are powerful as individuals and even more powerful together. That sets the precedent for how feminism creates change, an alliance of women. And they led by example. I admired how they took a charge when they were unhappy with the man managing them. Rather than put up with it, they sacked him and they did it themselves. The Spice Girls were attainable too. We could all be them. The fun group who kicked ass because they were powerful but not threatening. Their difference... Their different personalities meant it was inclusive, but not always what was considered stereotypically feminine. You could be sporty or you could be loud and brash, like scary. Though I do think it should be said that there's nothing scary about being confident. <laughs> so true. Yeah. <laughs> they were, for us as teenagers, the embodiment of sisterhood. They encouraged young women to stand together and look out for each other. And what's more, they did it in a brilliant way. Now, feminism is often heavy with academia or too technical. What the Spice Girls did wasn't life-saving, but it was dynamic. We all need a bit of girl power. Oh, yeah. that was a long quote, but I just oh, loved I love everything that they said. And I felt like it was worthy of being repeated. I think that that is such a good point. Like, I think that's why so many people love Elle Woods. Yeah. Too. Oh, like, yes. you can wear pink and, like, be a lawyer and win court cases, you know? like, yeah. <laughs> And that's not a hot take, like, obviously. No. <laughs> like, there's just, there's so much more to feminism then I think a lot of people are willing to make it be. Mm -hmm. And I think the point I'm hoping we're getting to it as, as a society is that things like girl power, girl <laughs> bossing, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, who cares if it's cringy? Like, if we're going to truly be inclusive, then you've got to allow any part of, like, yeah. female empowerment to, you know... It all has its place. Yeah, and you can... And it's all doing something. Meet people where they're at and like and yeah. sometimes I don't know not everything needs to inherently be criticized because it could be better yeah I mean otherwise like yes no we're doomed yeah true <laughs> it's, like, it's like this like yeah balancing act of like yeah criticize and encourage people to be better but also like yeah if something's trying to be good let it be good in the way it's trying to you know agreed this is actually kind of like getting really a uh, like academic but I read like a thing about how everyone says that they want like a perfect utopia mm -hmm. but we have to realize that like as a society we can't get there because you're never gonna get like everyone on the same page yeah so there's actually a term called protopia ah. and it's just the idea that like we're constantly progressing as a society like it's not like one version of what the future could look like it's mm -hmm. just the like idea that together we could be constantly progressing like we're constantly getting better yeah because we're not gonna reach utopia like you can't get everyone yeah on the same page like we're not gonna be a perfectly peaceful society but we could get to the point where like everyone's trying to be a good person yeah and that should be the that goal. hopefully should do something <laughs> for us yeah you'd hope that that's what everyone wants i guess right? yeah sometimes i really question but yeah well there's the Spice Girls, everyone. Yes. Like I said, I wasn't aware really how much cultural impact that they had. So I loved I learning about it. And if you haven't listened to the Spice Girls album in full, go do that. It's one of the best selling albums of all time in yeah, the top 100 at least. Go. So That's incentive if you need it. Like participate and in like, culture. Go look at some of their photo shoots and watch the music videos and stuff. They're like so you've probably fun. heard the songs, but like you may not have seen a lot of this stuff. Like they literally just look like they were having the time of their lives. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. Like that's just fun to see in general. Like I agree with all the quotes you read about they just didn't take themselves that seriously. Yeah. I I think it's great. That was the point of them. 
So yes, I loved it. Um, well, we'll be back next Monday with another episode. Hope to see you back. And if you've been a fan of the podcast, maybe leave us a rating or review, share it with your friends and say, hey, come learn about how awesome the Spice Girls are. And we will all enjoy the Spice Girls together. So there's that. If you want to be my lover, you got to listen to more than the muse. <laughs> Make it last forever because <laughs> friendship never ends. That doesn't rhyme. And this podcast hopefully won't either. But, yeah, there ever. we go. Ever. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways, be back next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> if you want to be my lover, you better listen to my podcast. Mood. <laughs>